following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. to go with Miss Jessica. As the fourth and fifth graders are taking off, if you would, open up in your Bibles or electronic device. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can take one that's in front of you in the pews, or um, there are so many free apps out there. Uh, the ESV has a free app um, that you can go ahead and download. It's just scripture, uh, which is great. Um, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Matthew chapter 6 is in um, the first. Matthew is the first book of what we call the Gospels. The Gospels is the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. We believe here at Community Gospel Church that Jesus is the Messiah, that his blood that was shed on the cross, he lived a perfect life, died a perfect death. If you place your faith and trust in Christ, you will be saved, is what the Bible says. Not what Jordan says, what the Bible says. Uh, we revolve around the gospel. The gospel is simply that. And if you have never received the gospel, or if you have questions about the gospel, there's a little blue bookmark that's in front of you too as well, and we'd make sure that you check one of those out, or you can go ahead and take that with you uh, if you so choose. As you're looking at... Um, Matthew chapter 6, the big numbers are the chapters, the little numbers are the verses, and uh, we see that Jesus is speaking to us on what it looks like to be his disciple. So if we confess and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he says, I want you to live a certain way. He says, I'm going to give you rules and things uh, that you should do, um, and these aren't to punish you. These are to help you to prosper. Uh, these are to give you peace and joy. Uh, these are to help you in your life. Um, we know that rules and guidelines are good. We see that in sporting events, and we see that in other areas of our life. It's good to have rules. It's good to have guidelines and things to follow. And Jesus has already um, really articulated a lot of things here, but he's going to kind of dig down a little bit. Um, and uh, I'll be honest with you, before we start, this hurt a little bit this week to kind of look at this because we're spoiled, rotten Americans. And if you don't say amen, you should, because man, uh, we live very good lives. And Jesus, I think, is speaking to the heart of American Christianity here in this text. Think about something for just a second as uh, we start. Suppose... Um, obviously, you live here, but let's suppose that you are going to go to France, right? Bethany's been to France a couple of times. Actually, just once. Sorry, not a couple of times. Once. Um, she left us and went and sang over in, in France. Um, played, whatever it is. And, uh, <laughs> um, and let's say you were to go there, uh, and you're going to live there for three to six months. Okay? Sounds pretty good, like a good deal. You uh, get on the plane. You go overseas. <laughs> And uh, you land, and the person looks at you and gives you house keys, and they say, hey, this is your key. This is where you're going to stay. This is your apartment. And they say, there's one catch, though, to the whole trip. And you're like, what's that? Uh, you can't take anything home with you on the plane. Like, you just have to um, live here, and you're going to do certain things here. And, oh, you can have a job here and all that other stuff. It's good. And you can populate that uh, place where you live with as much stuff as you want. But just remember, when all is said and done, you can't take anything home with you. What would you do? Would you go and buy a bunch of expensive things and put them in that place where you live? Would you go out and squander all your money on stuff? Some of you are like, absolutely, right? Uh, or would you 
kind of reevaluate some of your purchases and some of the things that you spent money on or the ways that you spent money. And let's say the person who uh, gave you that key to that place said, hey, you know what? I'll tell you what, you can even do things here that can make deposits in your bank account back in America. You can do specific things here, you can work here, and you'll see it when you get there. When you get back home, you'll see if you deposit the right things that it was worth it and your time here uh, was worth it. You know, that's exactly what Jesus says to us. He says, listen, if you have claimed to be my disciples, if you've confessed and believed that I'm the Messiah, then guess what? This world is not your home. You are simply passing through. This world is our France. This is the place where Jesus looks at us and he says, you can't take anything with you. I've done a lot of funerals and what I've learned is there's no U-Hauls on the back of hearses. Sorry to say, but we can't take anything with us. We're just passing through, but we can do specific things here on earth out of obedience to Jesus Christ. When we get to heaven, as the old hymn says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we get to heaven where Jesus will look at us and he'll say, now, here's the things that you did on earth that were for me and for my glory, and this is why it was so important. So we can live for eternity now, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's addressing this attitude that we have towards our worldly possessions. And this is how our approach should be on the things that we have and how we can let go of the things that own us. It's a little bit of a weighty subject this morning. I think you'll be okay. You're smart individuals. And we'll get through this together, and then hopefully we'll apply it, okay? Um, But man, let me pray for clarity this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truth and for what it says. And I thank you for um, the opportunity to be taught by you in your word, that your word is truth. And it's so easy to approach your word sometimes and ask you to conform to my will. And this past week, God, I think I asked that a couple of times. And you look back at me and said, do you want to conform? Do you want me to conform to your will or you to conform to my will? Your way is better. Your way is always better. And so as we look at this together, we ask very specifically that we would take this knowledge and not just be puffed up with it, but that we would truly apply it. This message is one, God, that we have to apply. It has to be applied well. It has to be applied individually to have kingdom impact. And so if you could help uh, this morning, God, which I know you can, help me to be clear this morning with what your text says. And may uh, you be glorified with what we do, with what we know. It's in your name that we pray. the name of Jesus. Amen? Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 6. Some of you are like, I don't know what I got myself into this morning. Hey, welcome to my week. 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because there's moss over here. There's rust over here. And those things destroy. And also, there are these people called thieves, and they break in and they steal. Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? Heaven. Those deposits in heaven where in heaven neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves will break in and steal. Key verse in the first part of what Jesus has to say is verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now, before going any further, okay, Jesus does not look at us and he does not say, don't plan for the future. He says, don't worry about it. But he doesn't say, don't plan for it, okay? So, your 401k is safe, all right? 
So don't think that I'm coming for that or your retirement plan or anything like that. However, there is a strong case that can be made in the Bible that you're not supposed to retire. But that's a whole nother sermon for another day. And I don't need a bunch of soon-to-be-retired people lynch me in the parking lot, okay? Jesus is saying here, I want to correct your attitude on these earthly things. He says, I want you to reevaluate your approach towards two things, towards your money and towards your possessions. So the whole goal today is to reevaluate how we approach our money and our possessions. At the very last verse, it's going to say you cannot serve God and money, and the word there is manon, or money and possessions. We have divided them in our day and age, but back in the Bible, they were all one, okay? So the question on the table is, am I placing value on what I have on this earth in a greater way or higher than that which is eternal. And so the first thing that Jesus calls us to do, there's just two things, okay? Number one, you need to take inventory. He's saying, I want you to take inventory on all the things that you have. I want you to take inventory on the things that you own, on your bank accounts. And I want you to look at that, and I want you to realize you're either laying up treasure for yourself or for your Savior. So look at that word, lay up treasure. That word means a mass or a reserve for the future. And if you're sitting there and you're hearing Jesus talk, Jesus is giving this message to his 12 disciples that are sitting in front of him, and then he's giving it to all the people who had left all of their things to follow Jesus, and it extends from generation to generation to generation to those of us who are gathered here today, okay? And if you heard Jesus say, don't lay up treasures on earth, the first thing that you would have thought is the temple. Because everybody went to the temple. There was no separation between church and state, and so the law was the church. They gave out the law, and they had the ability to carry out the law. And what they did is, when you came to the church, okay, when you came to the temple, you would give a temple tax. And that temple tax was to keep the temple in good, right-standing order. So you instantly thought about that little box that's in the temple that was used as a tax. Everybody gave to that box. No matter who you were, no matter where you're from, you had to pay the tax. Now, the interesting thing in our society is we all pay taxes, and if you don't, well, you might want to reevaluate that, right? Um, it comes back to bite you a little bit, or so I've been told. And also, you might want to reevaluate what you give to the church. I'm not going to make a case for giving here today. That's another sermon for another day. But we should both pay our taxes as well as give sacrificially to God's church to keep it moving and operating in the right direction. So with that said, we'll take the offering again. Just kidding. All right. <clears throat> He says, Jesus says here, be careful where you lay up your treasures. Now, the interesting thing here, all right, in this text is that you will not get this if you don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you cannot give if you don't know what giving truly is. And giving truly is that God loved us enough that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We, as believers and followers of Jesus, give because we have been given to. If you don't know the gospel, this doesn't make any sense to you. Paul says very specifically that this comes from the gospel that we have received. We do not close our hands around the earthly things. We freely open them and give them out so that people can understand the gospel that we have inside of us. That's why Matthew chapter 28 says, you should go, therefore, and make disciples. Give them what you have been given. 
So oftentimes, believers, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we say, this little light of mine, it is mine. And we become very selfish children with the gospel. My Jesus isn't for you. We've seen this in society today. Not to mention any names, but somebody got saved, supposedly, this past couple of weeks. And what I learned is, is some people really question if they really truly got saved. Man, if my unsaved friends got saved, I would hope that the church, the believers, would look at that and say, let's work to make sure that you understand the gospel, the greatest treasure that you have received, so that you can freely give that treasure back out. So that you can do all for the glory of God with all that you think, say, and do. Paul insisted the treasures of God are hidden in Christ and to be used. What you have, church, is to be used, not stored up. Now, he says, for yourself. Look at that. In 19, uh, the second part, and 20, the first part, he says, for yourself. Now, there's some people out there who have translated the Bible, and I think what happened is they got to this, and they're like, we don't like this, so we're going to take it out. In the New Living Translation, you won't find for yourself. Even in the, um, the old King James Version of the Bible, man, some of them take that out. What he's saying here is, if working for yourself on earth is your sole purpose, then get everything that you possibly can before you die. Play the game of Monopoly and take over as much as you humanly possibly can. Because then and only then will you win, right? He says, if you're going to store up for yourself treasures on this earth, then you better store up as much as you can. Because this life, as Job says, flies faster than a weaver's shuttle. It just, like a breath. But if you love the Lord and you have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ... Then store for yourself treasure up in heaven, your money, your time, and your talents, so that when God looks at you, he says, what did you do? You say, I did all for the glory of God. Everything was done for you and for your glory. This is the barometer that we have for the status of our hearts and what is really truly on the throne. Jesus will ask us two questions when we die. You'll see him. He'll look at you. He'll say, why should I let you into heaven? And if you don't say, because I trusted in the fact that your blood covered my sin, he cannot let you in. The one sin that God can't forgive is the rejection of his son. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the pushing back to say that your blood was not enough for my sin. And then, if you look at him and you say, I trusted Jesus Christ. You are my greatest treasure. You were the one thing that I loved the most. You were everything. Your blood that was shed on the cross, it was for me, and I trusted in that and that alone every day of my life, that you were enough. He's going to walk with you. He's going to say, okay, come on, let's, let's have a talk. He's going to say, hey, um, what did you do with what I gave you? And you're going to look at Jesus, and you're going to go, oh, about that. And, and you're going to think to yourself, where is all my stuff? The only thing you can take to people, or the only thing that you can take to heaven is people and praises. That's it. And God's going to look at us and he's going to ask us, what did we do with the things that were entrusted to our care? Was it for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the edification of the church, or was it for ourselves? Now, Jesus gives a great illustration here. He says, moth and rust and thieves. And all of these speak of being eaten away. Moths would chew holes in your clothing and would be beyond repair. Rust obviously would corrode. And then what we see is thieves would take things. Now, the Greeks called thieves 
uh, mud diggers because what they would do is they would dig a hole in the side of your house and they would come in and they would eliminate all your stuff. So you get home and you'd be like, where did it all go? And you got taken by a mud digger. Now, you don't have to go there, uh, but I'm going to. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives a really good example of exactly what he's talking about here for his audience. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16, he says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, earthly possessions. But he said to them, Man, who made you a judge or an arbitrator over you? And that's exactly how Jesus talks. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all what? Covetness. The hoarding of things. That's exactly what he says when he says lay up treasure. It's the same word. Be on your guard against that, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Why? Because they will decay. They will rust. They will erode. They will be taken. Everything that you've worked for, and those of you who are older would say amen, is going to be given to somebody else. And you're like, oh man, that's my son or my daughter. Lord have mercy. 16. So he tells him a parable. Jesus spoke in parables because we understand stories better than when he tells us things directly. The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do with all I have? Nowhere do I have to store up all my crops. And so he says to himself, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain, all of my goods. That sounds kind of like us, doesn't it? What should I do with all of my stuff? I know, I'll build another house so I have more stuff. And then I'll build another house. And then I'll build a barn and a garage and all that other stuff. And I'll say to my soul, which I think this is the best verse, or one of the best verses in the Bible, soul, <laughs> talking to yourself, you're not crazy, don't worry about it. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and be merry. But God said to him, you're a fool. Why would he say that? Why would he call him a fool? This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Why? Because all of these things will be taken away. Here's the crazy thing about Jesus. 15% of everything he talks about in all the gospel accounts is about your money and your possessions. 15%. He speaks on it more than he talks about heaven and hell. Somebody told me a little bit ago, they said, we don't hear a whole lot of sermons on hell. And I was like, yeah, because Jesus doesn't talk about it a whole lot. He'd rather get to the real true status of your heart in regards to what you have. When he gets to the status of your heart, now we're really seeing who is on the throne. Christ said, if you were to really truly look at yourself and how you view your time, money, talents, and possessions, you'll see exactly where your heart is. You'll see exactly what you are focused on. So, take inventory. Businesses do this all the time, don't they? They take inventory. I remember working at Lowe's back in college, and we used to take inventory. Worst thing ever. Amen? Anybody taking inventory? This, this company comes in called Riggs, and they put tags everywhere, and people move all those tags. Never knew what they did. Every time they took inventory, I was always like, why are we taking inventory? I think it's just to make me work more, right? And what I realized was companies take inventory for a couple reasons. Number one, they take inventory because it helps them calculate what is costing them as a business. It helps them to calculate the cost of what they have. Is it hurting us or is it helping us to keep this around? 
The same is true with what Jesus says for us as believers. You, church, ready for this? Application. Should take inventory of everything you have to see if it is really truly helping you or hurting you. <laughs> I just told Bethany the other day, we were um, up in our room and I was talking to her and I said, I have a whole drawer full of t-shirts that I never wear. Whole drawer full of them. But you know what? They're near and dear to my heart. They're my t-shirts. I never wear them. Why do I hold on to them? I don't know. I have no idea. I can't figure it out. I boxed them up and I thought to myself, okay, I'm gonna give them away. And I thought, nope, not sure, not, not give them away. That shirt I wore in college. That's my t-shirt. That's actually a community gospel t-shirt. And so I can't throw that away. What would somebody think if they went to Goodwill and saw a community gospel t-shirt written on the racks? Is that what we are to you, Jesus? My treasure is in my drawer. It is not in my heart. See, it reveals a status. Something even simple as a t-shirt tells us exactly where we're at. Why do we hold on to our stuff? But Jesus says, you need to calculate the cost of everything that you have and see, is it helping you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it helping you to encourage your brothers and sisters or is it hurting your relationship with God? Our goal next year should be taking inventory of everything we have to see and to calculate the cost of, is it really truly helping us as believers or is it hurting us? Second thing, uh, the reason why people take inventory is it helps eliminate that which is out of date. There are so many things that we have that are out of date and need to go away. And Jesus says, if this is collecting dust, then it's time to move along. And here's the crazy thing about this whole message. Ready for this? You know, I don't know. I had to wrestle with this all week long, still wrestling with this. I think spring cleaning has got to come earlier. But what I'm saying is, we look at this and, and we want to point the finger to somebody else and be like, oh, I know exactly. Like spouses, you're thinking about this in your mind. You're like, yep, when we go home, he's finally going to get rid of those pants. Oh my goodness, they have holes. No, no, no. You can't look at this for somebody else. You've got to evaluate it personally. This is exactly why we suffer. Ready for this? With anxiety. Jesus is going to talk about this next week. And he says, this is why you worry, this is why you have anxiety, is because you have hoarded things. And it's time to get rid of those things. The more things that we have, the more worry that takes place. We're overpopulated with money and materialism. Our most cherished earthly possessions reveal our deepest motives and desires, if we would be honest, if we would really, truly be honest. A person who is right with the Lord extremely generous. It's just stuff. But a person who is bent on themselves is extremely selfish. Now, here's the hardest part of the first thing that Jesus says when he says, take inventory. Jesus is not saying that if you put your treasure in the right place, your heart will be in the right place. No. He's saying the location of our treasure indicates where our heart already is. So take inventory. Look at the second uh, part of what he says in uh, verse 22, okay? Uh, oops, I gotta go back. In verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is gonna be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 24, nobody can serve two masters they will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and manum. The word there is money, but you should take that out and put manum because it makes more sense. So the first thing I do is take inventory on my stuff. 
is what I have being leveraged for the gospel of Jesus Christ and edifying to the church? Those are the two questions that I ask when I take inventory of everything I have. The second thing I do is I reevaluate what I do with it. Rather than finding the identity in materialism, now we find our identity and joy in Christ. Let's follow with this verse. Look, it says the eye is the lamp of the body. Now notice here Jesus says, I, he does not say eyes. Why? The people in this time period are struggling with the same thing that you and I are struggling with. You know what that is? Double vision. They have one eye that really wants to follow Jesus. And I think this is literal, okay? People are sitting there, they're hearing Jesus talk. They have one eye on him. But at the other time, they have the other eye kind of looking to see who's kind of watching them following Jesus. We're the same way. Like, we have one eye that's really on Jesus. All right, Sunday, we're gonna come to church. I'm going to worship, I'm going to raise my hands, I'm going to sing, we're going to give, we're going to do all those things. But then we have our other eye on the fact of what's going on in the world. And Jesus says you cannot dabble in your relationship with God. You don't just dip your toe into the water of the gospel, you have to jump in. We went to go see the ark, um, <laughs> what was that, a week ago? Fall break, whatever that was. So we go see this big gigantic boat. This is what we should have done. We should have gone to the we should have gone to the parking lot. We should have looked at my kids. I said, "Look, Noah's Ark," and they would be like, "Ooh, Noah's Ark." And then we should have just kept on driving, right? <clears throat> the only reason I say that is not because there's not good content in it, but my kids are nine and seven. They don't know what's going on, right? All they know is, "Yeah, Noah built the ark, Dad." cool and we're sitting there walking through this boat and we're telling them like this you got to read this and you got to read this and they're sitting there going okay you know there'll be a quiz as soon as we're done anyway uh after we were done with the ark we sold our kids on the fact that if you go and walk around the ark and appease grandma okay because she really wants to be here if you do that and you learn something about noah in this ark there's a pool at the hotel my kids are like did you say pool <laughs> like yeah dad dinosaurs on the boat that's really interesting did you know this did you know this right and so we go to the hotel we go to the pool here's what i know about kids kids do not know that the water is cold or warm amen they have no idea they just jump in the pool that's all they do they don't even care who's in the pool. We walk in as adults and we're like, I don't know, am I wearing the right bathing suit? Am I not wearing the right? There's a lot of people here, I'm not really sure. What are you doing? I don't know where you're doing. And you're from the South, right? Like this is weird. So anyway, um, we go in and my kids are already in the water. And here's what everybody says when they get in the water, ready? You just get in, you'll get used to it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> So my babies are floating around this water, right? And they're looking at me like, Dad, get in, Dad, get in, Dad, get in. And I'm like, oh, man, are you serious? So I do what every adult does, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> right, I'm just going to have to pray about this for a little bit, right? They're like, get in, you chicken. Oh, now we have this going on, right? So I just go to the deep end. I just jump in. I'm all in. I got the goggles on, the nose plugs on, you name it. We're going to do this thing. Every parent who's sitting on the outside of the pool is going, what's wrong with that kid? He must have special needs. Many, multiple. Yeah, absolutely. But Jesus, he looks at us and he says, if you're going to accept the gospel, you've got to jump in off the deep end and learn how to swim. And it's, it's, it's this way with our possessions and the things that we have and the things that we own. Jesus looks at us and he says, you cannot have one eye in the world and one eye in the word. It doesn't work that way. If your eyes 
are healthy, fixated 100% on Jesus, your whole body will be healthy. Some of the reasons why we have problems as believers is because we are staring at the world with one eye and staring at the world with the other, and we're asking Jesus to take care of our problems, and he says, I would if you would just fix your eyes on me and me alone. I'll take care of it. So oftentimes, Jesus says, I want to correct that bad eye. I want to make sure that you understand. People in the New Testament, if you're sitting there listening to Jesus, they understood this completely. They believed 100% that if the eyes were healthy, the body was healthy. The more time that they spent getting real true light, the more time the light affected that which was internal. People in California get this. Um, I just learned about this the other day. Hospitals are starting to do this with sick patients. They're realizing that sick patients don't do real well inside. And so what they do is they go and they put them outside. So if I'm ever in the hospital, take me to California, okay? Um, they'll, they'll actually wheel them from one department to another uh, through uh, these corridors that are located outside. And they're getting the light that is helping take care of their body. And they'll actually spend time with them um, in there. Uh, you talk to any prison guard, and they'll look at you and they'll say, our prisoners do a whole lot better if they have more light than darkness. It's not good for somebody to sit in um, solitary not good for them to be encapsulated in darkness. So when we look at what Jesus says here, he says, listen, the quality of light that comes into a room depends on the condition of the window which it comes through. So either you're 100% in or you're still having one on one place and one on the other. So reevaluate your eyes to see what you're really focused on and you'll see your true motive. Okay? Why? Because you can't serve two masters. Serve there means to be enslaved by or a position of a slave and act accordingly. We have a negative context of that word. In the New Testament time period, it wasn't a bad thing. It was much like being employed by an employer. Okay? And either your boss took really good care of you or your boss didn't take good care of you. And what happened was people realized that the boss that didn't take really good care of them, they got kind of like a second job. And so they had two masters and they realized it was hard to function according with having two bosses because they would demand different things. And so Jesus essentially looks at it and he says, you need to be fully committed and fully devoted to one. You need to be fully committed when the time comes, if you're a believer, to be all in. You cannot serve God and money. The word there's translated wealth or manum, which is a reference to money and possessions. So either you store up your treasures with God focusing both eyes on him or you're going to get anxious and worried because you're dabbling. Now, this guy comes up to Jesus in the text. I love this passage of scripture. Um, it's in Matthew chapter 19. And um, he walks up to Jesus. He's a good guy, right? He's a good guy. He says, Jesus, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him. He says, you should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Good answer. Jesus is full of them. And uh, the guy looks at him and he has the audacity to go, I've done all those since my youth. Went to Club E for, you know, 17 years. Good. Did Velocity, right? Uh, even gave my allowance as tithe. Did all that. Like the guy has the audacity to look at the son of God and be like, everything you just said, I've done that. And here's a crazy thing. He was blessed because he was a good guy. Good guy. He had an abundance of money and possessions. So Jesus looks at him and he realizes the status of his heart is on his money and possessions. It is not on him. And so he says, okay, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus says, if you wish to be complete, have both eyes fixated on me. Go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor. 
and you shall have your treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. But when the young man heard his statement, he went away and he grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus turns and he looks back at his disciples as the man is walking away, and he said, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. If Jesus in physical presence was standing here, I think he would tell us it is hard for Americans to enter the kingdom of God because we have been blessed with abundance and we have put our hope and our faith in our stuff and not our Jesus. We have not looked at him and said, he is enough. We've looked at our things and said, they are what we want. They are what we crave. They are what we desire. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? It's not wrong to own a car. Like, some of you are like, what do I do? Like, I'm getting rid of all my stuff. Like, man, I'm a huge sinner. Hold on a second, okay? It's not wrong to have a house or a summer house. Uh, Many of us would love to participate in spending time at your summer house. It's not wrong to have a motorcycle or a moped or any of that stuff. Nice clothes, jewelry, boats, all of those things. Not wrong, okay? None of those things are inherently evil, We can enjoy them as long as we understand that they belong to God and they're on temporary loan and it's how we use them, okay? We're in a dangerous place when the nice things we own end up owning us. Here's like the pinnacle of the message. How do I know when something owns me? This is what I've been wrestling with all week. When I reevaluate and I take inventory of what God has entrusted to my care. You know something owns you when you need that thing to be happy or full in your life. You know something owns you when you get angry or afraid or upset at the thought that it could be lost. <laughs> I've been doing this this week. Uh, this is so funny. So I, I, I love my phone. Anybody want to amen that? Okay, well, if you don't, like, I know you love your phone too, so whatever. <clears throat> I've been giving people my phone. I've like, can you hold this for a minute? I'm like, Whew, right? Uh, went in the house the other day and realized my daughter was on my computer and I looked at Bethany and I said, what is wrong with you? Like you entrusted a seven-year-old to that machine? And she's like, don't worry, it's okay. She understands how it works. Praise the Lord, right? Like that, that just, that's not good, okay? Um, When you think about that thing in your spare time, how about some more? You know something owns you when it's the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about when you go to bed. You know something owns you. You know something owns you when you find yourself bringing it up in almost every single conversation that you have. You know something owns you when you get upset if somebody touches it or comes near it. My grandpa had a pool table in his basement. You could not touch that pool table. He would go crazy. You know something owns you when you spend an unhealthy amount of time with it. You know something owns you when you plan your schedule around it and you spend time with that thing more than your friends, your family, and your church. You know something owns you when it owns you. And I think, ready for this? Like This is super hard for me to tell you this. I, I think you know. Like when you run that list, I think you know what owns you. And I think you look at it and go, what do I do? What in the world do I do? And here's the thing. If something owns you, then you need to start to pray about it and really pursue the possibility that it's time to give that thing away. Like really, truly pray that it's time to relinquish this thing that has control of you. Maybe it's time to find somebody who needs it and give it to them. 
Be like, hey, this is, this, this is mine, but I'm going to give it over to you. And don't say anything, just let it go. You need to get to the place where you realize that you've made a big deal about something and be in a right relationship with God, and the only freedom that can come is with Christ. There are so many things that I could bring up personally that I've wrestled with just in my own life, but that's my wrestle, and, and here's what's really important. I think you have to wrestle with your thing, and you know if you're being obedient with it or disobedient with it. You know if it's time to let that thing go. You know if it's time to bless somebody else with that thing. You know how to make your heart sing again. And here's the craziest thing about Jesus. You ready for this? He says, for he who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it for him or her, it is a sin. And that's the kicker to the whole thing. When you reevaluate and you take inventory on all your stuff and you think to yourself, man, I know that this thing is the one thing that's causing distance between me and God and it's time to get rid of it. Jesus looks at you and he says, are you gonna obey me or not? And that is when we start to have faith. That's when we start to have to trust him and him alone. So funny. There's so many people who say, I just wanna live like Jesus. And I think we want to live like Jesus when we get to eternity. Amen? I think sometimes I'm like, hey, I know the gospel. I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And we're going to work on the other 90% when we get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Everything that I struggle with will be made right. But Jesus is going to look at me and he's going to say, did you do things for yourself or did you do things for me? He's going to give you crowns for all your obedience. And you're going to put those crowns back at his feet. You're going to be excited to do those things. But you can live for Christ now just as much as you can live life for Christ in eternity. Heaven does not have to be a jump. It can be a step. Blessed is the man or woman who walks into eternity and does not have to take a giant leap because all the things that have ended up owning us. You want to step into eternity and blink your eyes and realize that you live for Christ so well that here on this earth, it was just a walk. Or when you get to heaven, will it be this huge jolt where you look at it and go, man, this is way different than what I had anticipated. I hope not. But you know, you know. Now the real question is, what do we do with this? How are you gonna take this information and apply it? Reevaluate, take some inventory, pray about it, maybe fast a little bit. And see what God wants you to do with it. Bathe everything in prayer. Let me uh, pray for you, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper and um, tell Jesus that he is enough. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.